0: Hey, this is Glenn Foster, thatcanadianguy.com. You're listening to Anything Goes with Darren Frost on Laugh Attack XM Radio. business sad as ours this is anything goes with darren frost dave martin and kathleen mcgee
1: We are back here once again. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. I am resident pain of the ass and announcer Dave Martin. Uh, Kathleen McGee is still out east and she will not be with us this week. This is a no holds barred talk show talking about events of the news, uh, pop culture, the state of Canadian stand up comedy. And now, without further ado, here's the host of Anything Goes, Darren Frost.
2: All right, thanks for listening. This week we are so packed with guests because it's that time of year. We're uh, just going to jump right into an interview. (laughs) It's that time of year, year, Dave. It's interview time of year. You know that post Oscars interview time of year. Uh, This week on the show we have documentary filmmaker Paul Kemp. He has a documentary called Save My Lake. Uh, airing on Thursday, March 17th at 8 p.m. on CBC's television, The Nature of Things. Uh, Save My Lake is uh, a documentary, and it's also about Is It Too Late to Save One of the Largest Freshwater Lakes in the World? And Paul Kemp is here to talk about it. Thanks, Paul, for being here.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you, Paul.
2: Uh, So this uh, documentary, which I did watch uh, three or four days ago, just give us a, a basic breakdown for everyone at home what this documentary is about.
3: Well, there's this big lake in the middle of the country uh, of, of Canada and Manitoba, and it's the 10th largest lake in the world, but not too many people know about it, uh, except for if you're from Manitoba, and then everyone knows about it. because right. It has a huge impact on your life. And uh, like to give you a sense of how big it is, I mean, it's bigger than Lake Ontario. You right. Know, it's bigger than a great lake. Yeah. Uh, so it's 25,000 square kilometers, and in the last few years, they've had up to 25,000 square kilometers of green goop, green algae has covered the whole lake right. for up to three or four days at a time. And that uh, has led people to, to question, like, what is going on in this lake mm-hmm. that is leading to these massive algae blooms, as they're called? And so uh, I pitched it at uh, CBC Nature Things a couple years ago. They nibbled at it, and last summer we went out and shot it, and we had the, the good fortune uh, as filmmakers to actually get some of the best footage ever of what happens when a lake gets covered in algae. Uh, not so great if you yeah. were actually on the beach. But... That's the thing. A
2: lot of people think a lake, okay, algae or some, <clears throat> some, But these are like beaches as part of these lakes. It's not like a standard lake. People think lake, it's a lot of marsh. This has got a lot of beachfront kind of atmosphere to this lake as well, right?
3: Yeah, well, the south end of Lake Winnipeg is enormous. I mean, it. it the lake is... like 500 kilometers long, almost. But the south end is where everything is, and the beaches are on the south end. There's a place called Gimli on the on the east side. uh, Sorry, on the west side, Uh, and the other beaches, Grand Beach and Victoria Beach, are the big lake uh, beaches on the uh, on the west side, and they are just fantastic beaches. Playboy actually ranked uh, Grand Beach in the top ten beaches in the world back in the 70s or 80s. Whoa. And, or that's, Whoa. That's what they tell me. I don't know. I don't know if that's... <laughs> I couldn't find the evidence of that. But that, yeah. But I believe it. There's up to well, 30,000 uh, 30,
2: people. I replayed Boy for the Articles. I don't remember reading that, so... I do, too. <laughs> now,
1: was, uh, like, you know, from when you wanted to start doing this documentary and uh, up until the point that uh, it got the green light for you yeah. to actually do the documentary, uh, had things gotten like exceptionally worse at the lake? Well, I mean, I grew up on the lake. I've, uh, you know, I'm in my
3: early 40s now, but I, uh, I've been at the lake for 37 years. All I think right. I figured out. I we used to go up as, as kids. My parents uh, had a cottage on at Albert Beach, and then, which is just, just near Victoria Beach. And we, we've owned a cottage at Victoria Beach for years and years. And yeah, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember drinking out of the water. Right. And, I remember canoeing and just putting our cup down and drinking. And then now. Uh, you know, I've got a little kid, and mm-hmm. well, three years ago, I was walking down the beach, and uh, we were swimming one day, and then the next day, it was green, like like as thick as pea soup.
2: Yeah, my great kid, for St. Patrick's Day, yeah. but not for... Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: and my kid just walked right in, ooh. and uh, I was like, ooh, I don't know what this is all about, and so <laughs> that wasn't so good, and so I, I, th- it actually got me asking some questions about it, mm-hmm. and that's what started it uh, down that journey. I've noticed changes, and I think anyone who's on the lake has noticed changes over the last little while. That have, you know, um, been they've become worse in the last 20 years, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, you can I think there's stories you can always go back. Oh, I remember there was a bloom back in the, in the 60s and things. And I think because algae is a naturally causing phenomena. I mean, every lake has algae. Right. Um, all over Ontario. I mean, you go to small lakes like Simcoe or, or any of the little finger lakes that are around Kitchener, Waterloo. Like, they're all covered in algae, too. Mm-hmm. They're suffering from the same thing. Like, Winnipeg is. It's just that, yes, it's a big lake that has a huge watershed. Can, you know, can,
1: can algae be used for anything? Can it be, like, harvested and then, like, rich ladies can rub their bodies down with it or something like that? Is what? there something that more... <laughs> what can be done with it? And when you say it, it's... a. So can it be used for anything? I'll let you answer that first.
3: Well, uh, yes. The answer is if you get. So enough- what's the
1: big deal? Why do we need lakes? Just,
2: <laughs> that's the, if, if
1: anyone if anyone heard the uh, if anyone heard the raccoon uh, documentary <laughs> interview last week, uh-huh. um, uh, that's how I uh, I suggest I asked. Everything the woman, was
2: what? Really? Why? Why?
1: Why do we need lakes? Why do we need <laughs> raccoons? No, but so it's a it, it can be used for something. Well, I mean, if you could harvest it, yes. And why can't you it, harvest it? Deep,
3: Because it's massive and you don't know when it's going to hit. That's the problem, is that you you have what's called phosphorus. It's a naturally occurring uh, mineral that is basically the um, basis of fertilizer.
1: Okay, and I thought phosphorus makes things glow in the dark, like it, toys and stuff. Oh, it
3: does, and it actually can be turned. I think it's a. It, it goes into bombs and things too. Oh, <laughs>
1: as cool. well. there we go. But We're it definitely so cool.
3: works as a fertilizer. It's an accelerant. You throw it. If you threw phosphorus, rock phosphorus, into your garden, your 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 rose your rose bushes yes. would grow, and yeah. they would till they use it up. You throw it in the lake. Algae uses it, and that's what starts the process. The problem is that too much phosphorus is in Lake Winnipeg compared to historical levels, and that's what's starting to make it explode. And the reason is essentially um, urban like sewers getting flushed. Yeah, into urban the water. planning
2: and, and uh, rerouting of water through the farmlands of, of uh, the whole province has caused this problem, right? Well,
3: not even just Manitoba. It comes up from... Yeah, like, from Lake, the five places, Lake, places, right? Yeah, it comes from... You flush your toilet and bam. It, like, eventually works its way to Lake Winnipeg, which is, right. like, you know, three provinces away. And uh, that's... That's the problem is that you have this massive watershed and there are a whole bunch of things happening on it. Like cows are taking dumps, you know, yep. right in water systems right. all over Alberta. And that water is eventually working its way full of phosphorus and stuff into the, you know, other, there's other pollutants too, E. coli, among, sure. among, among other things. And it gets into the lake and then the lake uses it. And it's it's not that the lake isn't healthy. It's almost over healthy. It's got too much food. It's yes. Just, you know, and uh, then what happens is you get nice calm days, and the sun penetrates in, and boom, the thing explodes, and that's what you get.
1: Okay, so so the algae explodes in the lake, and then and then but and then so does it disappear at some point? No, this or does it just continue to explode? It explodes and it explodes and, and it explodes, grows, right yeah. It
3: explodes and explodes for about three or four days. The yeah. blue-green algae is the problem. Okay, uh, it takes over the top of the lake. Uh, um, it crowds out all the good algae below. And what happens is that that algae only lives for a few days, and then it dies. Okay. And then it starts to sink down to the bottom. And it's when it sinks to the bottom dead that the problem begins, because then as it decomposes, it uses oxygen in the water to decompose. It's like right. when we die. We can get thrown And then it uses oxygen. all the oxygen, right? And it, it
2: creates like a dead zone? It,
3: yeah, it creates a dead zone. It's the same as what happens in the Baltic Sea where you have these jellyfish explosions. Right. Because jellyfish can live in low um really low um levels oxygen. of oxygen yeah and that's why you have jellyfish explosions all over among other things i mean there's a whole bunch of things but imagine if you're a pickerel or a what you guys call it down here a walleye we call sure. a pickerel yeah. out there um great tasting fish and they're really nice on the lake but okay um, wait, wait. I'm, I'm
1: still imagining that i'm a fish we'll it. <laughs> okay go on all right okay so i'm a fish now
3: now what's happening uh well, you you swim into a dead zone, you die,
1: okay, and then so, and so nothing else can grow Like like fish cannot survive in in amongst yes. this algae. well, okay.
3: well, the interesting thing about the film that we presented is there's a paradox going on. The fish are doing really well, cause okay there's so much to eat, there's so much algae they're right. doing well, and they're the fishermen haven't had catches like this ever. The question is if the dead zone actually hits the whole lake goes down and all those fish are going to die and the ecosystems and right. but there's in eventually going
2: to be this tipping point of like uh when when is enough algae too much that creates a zone, so then the fish eat too much and then can't breathe and die, and then there's nothing that can be taken from the lake anymore. And like these fishermen's, are making unbelievable amounts of money. That was said in the documentary, like six thousand dollars for a morning of fishing. You know, you try to take that away from someone, and you're gonna have a bit of a war on your hands.
3: Well, well, they also have a quota system, but yes, essentially they can have a good morning, yeah, and, yeah, and if they run into a school of fish out there that have been munching out on this stuff. And they don't know. They don't really know. The science is still catching up. This is a this is the lake that science forgot. I was actually going to call a film that uh, right because nobody actually was analyzing the lake for like over a hundred years. Very little. There was two studies on the lake in a hundred, like almost uh, about eighty years.
1: So let me just ask now: uh, if we clean the, and I know you, we want this lake to get cleaned up, correct? Well,
3: I think I think what you have to do is what. Well, um, deal with the phosphorus getting into the lake okay. and what's going out of the lake and trying to, yeah, and then you'd, you'd have a healthier lake.
1: Now, my big issue with any environmental cause or any, any cause to begin with is sort of like if we clean the lake, who's going to lose money and who's going to make money? <laughs> but that's sadly what it yep. kind, of, sort of, kind of comes down to, right? Sure. There's
3: a, there, but there's a trade-off. And I mean, farmers, of course, are a little worried that it's a lot of it has been traced back to farms and right. farmland. The runoffs. Right? The runoff from yeah. fertilizer. City of Winnipeg has about 6% of the problems flush, flushing up uh, in there. Uh, you know, small towns all through the watershed are going up. Um, there's a whole bunch of causes that are, are, and there's natural phosphorus. You can't get rid of it. I mean, a tree falls and dies, and gets hit by lightning and dies. Within a few years, the, the oh, No, so it's God's it's fault. We can't yeah. do anything. Yeah. It's yeah. God's yeah. fault. Yeah, God, God, God's got a lot to do with this.
1: <laughs> God's an asshole. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, uh, but so, so the fishermen are worried about the uh, lake getting cleaned up, and that's going to cut into their profits.
3: Fishermen aren't that worried, actually. Fishermen oh. like the situation right oh I know now. but
1: if we clean but. up the lake then that's going to that, that, that the trickle down effect
2: to... would probably affect the fishing yeah but maybe not as drastically the one thing I did like in the documentary is when the, when, well, the one fisherman at least had the intelligence to say look we're just fishermen not scientists We're kind of we're making money off this and we're happy but we don't know and yeah, but they
1: say that about drinking and driving charges, too. <laughs> Listen here, I just got behind the wheel of a car. I'm just a fisherman, okay? That's that's the excuse for every fisherman. Listen, but, I'm just a fisherman. What,
2: what I was trying to say is the one thing I got from this documentary, we talked about this before we, we started the interview, is that almost everyone in, in this documentary, from the scientists to the people who may be gaining or benefiting from this, there is no sense of this kind of boogeyman in the yeah. documentary, right? Who's, who's
1: the enemy? The, well, there's,
2: uh, the, the enemy in a lot of documentaries, is easy. It's a you know uh, other water documentaries, big business or whoever, or God we kind is for, of, for God for me, right? right. But in, in this one, it's presented in a way that it's not one single boogeyman.
3: Well, I don't think so. I think there's a perfect storm hitting this mm-hmm. h- hitting this lake, and that's the problem. I think a lot of things that happened happened 80 years ago when they drained all these little micro marshes all through the prairies, right? To you know, people didn't realize what they were doing. They were trying to get more farmland, and uh, you know, sort of break the Break the prairies open to more farmland and what they did was they drained all these micro marshes that were catching all this water that was running off and now that stuff's going straight into the uh, yeah. into the lake. And when that happens, you It's you're... like nature's
2: filter. They just destroyed it so they get a better view of the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: and I don't think they did it maliciously. No, no. I think no. that that happened. I think the city of Winnipeg is starting to get its act together on the, mm-hmm. on the sewage system. Uh, it's still 6% of the problem. I talked to lots of scientists who said they, they could do a lot better, but, you know, they're having political debates. The government doesn't want to pony up all the dough. To, uh, to update all these sewer systems, which would cost a lot of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, lagoons all over these little, every small town has a little lagoon. You've probably seen them. Those things are all in bad shape, too. Like mm-hmm. all around the lake, we saw all sorts of them that are leaching out. And no one was paying attention, but now they are. So I so think like
1: pregnant teens. Yeah. We used to not pay attention to them, but now we. Anyways, <laughs> I forgot. Teen
3: mom came out.
2: <laughs> yeah, I got I got distracted.
1: Something shiny was over in the now, corner.
2: Yeah. Now you're also moving. You this is going to be coming out in uh, in March 17th, and now you're working on a new series. Uh, what was it called? The secret of sin.
3: The science of sin. The science of sin. Oh, yes. And, and
2: and what is what exactly is that?
3: Well. Uh, as it sounds, I mm-hmm. mean, <laughs> we're looking at uh, seven deadly sins in four films, and each uh, film we take one of the uh, two of the deadly sins. Okay. Uh, in in the first three episodes, and then in the last episode, we take on pride, uh, which is the mother of all sins. So it deserves its the own whole show. episode, right? And uh, yeah, so we're doing that for Vision Television and Christian Television. Actually, I've never had a commission from them, but okay. they uh, they knew we were doing it for Vision, and they came in and a series of international broadcasters and we have a we have international distribution all over the world so so is there
2: like a, is there kind of a christian bent on this show for each episode or is it nope. just purely Not at all. Right. it's
3: it's uh we look at sin as i mean sin is a christian idea because uh, you yeah. know uh, it came out of the catholic church but the idea of sin is something we take it bigger I right. mean, we have, we interviewed an imman, a rabbi, a Catholic priest. And they all uh, walk into a bar? Is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and they all have their own opinion from a biblical sense or from a religious sense. But we really look at what drives human impulses to do bad and gnarly things. Right. And it's a lot of fun. We have some great characters.
1: In the now, now, Darren was, uh, before we uh, started rolling, uh, Darren has a big issue with bottled water. He thinks it's bullshit. And uh, he yeah. tries to drink from the tap as much as he can. I do. Uh, but also i i think one of the things is too that's it's like um that i think bottles of water almost in the last i'd say like 10 15 years have almost become these like status symbols and the idea of someone like drinking out of a tap it's like oh my god what's the matter with you but i mean water goes through more purification processes uh through a, a tap than the actual it's like once you put the word spring water on a, a bottle it can almost have no yeah. filtration process at all to it right. really and um, but then and we were also talking about that there's that gigantic. Do you know? Are you familiar with the gigantic uh, piece of plastic that's out in the middle of the ocean? Yeah. Yeah, and right. it's like the size of Texas, and it's basically just uh, accumulated garbage. Yeah, I watched
3: the Oprah special on
1: it. Actually. Oh, there was an Oprah yeah, special there was about, an about Oprah it. Special oh, she's special great. It. Was
3: it really? Well, my <laughs> wife, my wife likes Oprah, so she All had right. it on tape, and I actually watched it. It was actually quite disgusting.
1: Well, well, I mean, but disgusting. But then, but like, doesn't isn't that a reflection of just like uh, both uh, our our sin and our consumerism and Glut- our, our our gl- Button, our, our consumption and then that's i mean because if you can drink out of a tap then you know why don't you and if, if it's just a matter of you wanting to be seen with an evian bottle over a you know a, a bottle that you just poured out of a, a faucet
3: well i think it's people don't understand probably um that filtration is actually really good i mm-hmm. mean i've i've read quite a few studies that the city of toronto's water bed it beats uh, several uh, bottled water oh and, yeah oh, it's, and so it's I, I i do drink out of the tap uh I do find that it can be a bit chlorine in different cities, right. though, but I don't find I I'm, I'm originally one. from
2: I'm originally from Brantford, and Brantford, Ontario, is one of the first uh, cities that had a uh, high level of chlorine in the water. So even when I taste water that's kind of chlorine it's not even that big of a deal for me. But if you come from a place that didn't have as much chlorine and then you taste it, it is a big deal for you. Yeah, you should yeah.
1: see, it, it, Darren gets flashbacks to his childhood when he tastes chlorine <laughs> water. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very disturbing.
2: Yeah, in the summer when I swim, look I out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just no. open your mouth. <laughs> Now, I don't know. I don't know. When I was in high school, that was like, uh, like late '80s, early '90s. Uh, you were drinking pure lead from those taps. No, no. You know what? I was just about to say that because the water tasted a lot like lead. Now, what was going on? Now, I think I've turned out exceptionally well, so maybe that doesn't have anything to do with it. But I mean, but the water tasted like lead, and no one seemed to care. Was that just like? Was it was because it, it was the '80s and? Yeah, Dave and turned all... out
2: really well. He's got to medicate himself every weekend. He turned out just real about. well from that lead water.
1: Well, I'm not off my meds yet, but, but we'll. Was it just because it was the 80s and we were all on blow and watching Miami Vice? What was the big deal?
3: (laughs) I don't think we had any choice, and I don't think we knew. You you
1: could have chosen not to do blow, but it's fine that you did. I understand all of our vices. But what was with the water back then? Because you said lead, and I didn't even have to coax you into saying that.
3: No, I just remember reading about that, and I actually think you know, I, I lived in Toronto. I live in Waterloo right now and I, I, I commute occasionally. I stay in, in, in town a couple of nights, but I was living in uh, Toronto and last year they pulled out my lead pipes. They're 90 year old lead oh, pipes and it cost me four grand.
2: Oh, so it yeah.
1: hurt. Yeah. So, pulled, uh,
3: yeah, it hurt my pocketbook, but <laughs> uh, we felt better. And they actually tested and they said there was lead in my water. Wow. Um, in some of the older pipes. In, but uh, I
1: bet I, I could go to Leaside High School now and drink that uh, water, and it might not be as letty as it was before.
3: I don't know. I, 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 I hope I haven't so. been to Leaside, but hopefully.
1: Well, no, yeah. I'm just not—but but I mean, like, I bet I could go there, and the, probably the water doesn't taste as awful as it did then. Yeah,
3: I—you know, I I drank Winnipeg water, and they always said it was the best water, but I, I find
2: it a bit chloriney, like your Bradford right. water. I right. grew up in
3: Winnipeg, and uh, so— yeah, I don't know like what's going on. I, I think Toronto's water's exceptionally good out of the tap mm-hmm.
2: though. I yeah. drink it out of the tap. I mean, my my wife and their, my kids are trained to go to the big, giant bottle dispenser in the living room. I don't drink it. I just drink right from <laughs> the tap. Yeah, that's and... your
1: family, not a bunch of hamsters. <laughs> well, <you don't laughs> I train them to go that. in the corner, and they have that bottle dangling down. Yeah, yeah. I know that in the city
3: of Winnipeg, though, that they have found trace elements of ibuprofen and some oh. pharmaceuticals in the water. It's very trace amounts, but, yeah. uh, you know, because we're all over-medicating, and then, I guess, You're, urinating it out, and it's coming into the water. And they I've actually, there's a guy at the University of Winnipeg uh, named Fung. You should get him on the show, maybe. Yeah, he, uh, he's doing some research on this, and I, That's I, I was actually I was looking into that when I was doing the film. I, we didn't go down that alley, but cause right. it was a it's a minor sort of. It's not, it's it's not like
1: enough. You're not gonna like get. Like, your back's lose, not going to feel better, or anything. Muscles, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. I actually
3: wish it would, though. Sometimes, right. Like
1: maybe. I... How come nobody, uh, nobody uh, these days threatens to poison drinking water like they did in the late '60s and early '70s? I don't know. Like the weather, the um, what was that? What was that group of? Uh... Under- what Jonestown? No, oh, not the Jonestown. One. The uh, the uh, weather underground. Well, the weather yeah, underground. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. They were they were going to pour LSD into the uh, yes. drinking water of uh, the '68 convention in uh, Chicago, I think. How well, come We don't do that. That wouldn't that
2: well, be exciting? Because,
1: <laughs> well, I well, I wouldn't catch a buzz in the morning. Just backpack. get out of the shower and it's all unicorns and swirly things. If you have well, too much. You drink
2: we, Winnipeg water with the ibuprofen and you're fine. Yeah, well, we did a documentary
3: okay. on terrorism, and the problem is that you disperse the problem. Right? It it goes too much. Oh, you can't. No one actually knows that you've actually harmed them for long enough that the terrorism effect isn't as as great as you would have walking into the bottom of a, you know a building with a bomb or a, a gun or something is more right. catastrophic than this leaching out of wa- <laughs> across a whole water system yeah. and i i suspect it's very hard to get a concentration in that would actually do, do that, that kind of do, thing. That, do sure. anything yeah. to you it wouldn't so. get a
1: good enough buzz from it to be worthwhile yeah yeah the um, now uh, what, now ever since i was a kid growing up lake ontario's always been horrible and awful so what can we is there is there a, can, is there a what is the solution to this issue
3: well, I think Lake Ontario's problem is different than Lake Winnipeg's problem. Lake okay. Winnipeg's problem is about phosphorus that's leading to algae blooms, that's leading to dead fish in dead zones. Ooh. And uh, that is solved... Through what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. A farmers uh, stopping stopping it before it gets there. I think on Manitoba, hydro has to start letting some of the water flush out of the top of the lake instead of using these lakes as, as big hydro reservoirs all the time. Right, it's okay to use it sometimes because we have right. to make some dough, um, and we have to make electricity, and it's Ooh. clean electricity. But what's wrong with Lake Ontario it has to do with E. coli and a lot of the problems that are, right. Uh, are going right in. But Lake Ontario's cleaned up a lot. The, the Great Lakes actually, there's been way right. more research
1: on what to do. Well, we haven't but found I it. We still have...
3: wouldn't drink right out of the no. Don River outflow.
1: <laughs> no. Well, we, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't uh, found any uh, Pink Floyd concert goers there lately. So <laughs> yeah. in uh, Lake Ontario. I don't... Big I ups know. to Benji Hayward. Um, but um, so it it, 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 is, it's, uh, it is a matter of like that the, there are changes that we can make and there are solutions out there. Well,
3: the Great Lakes have, have – there are some big issues. I mean you just have to watch a documentary like Water Life to see yeah. what's going on. But they actually have – people are paying attention to what's going on in the water. And I think what you need is people actually knowing what's going on and being – a like, attentive to to these things and monitoring these things. and right. and, and holding – I mean, they've got some interesting models in different countries around the world where you could actually sue the person up, uh, da- upstream of you. So mm-hmm. anyone downstream, you're responsible for your own actions. And if you right. actually could sue somebody and said, you know, you're the one yeah. to blame – and you actually had laws that could do that. You'd see a lot of stuff upstream getting cleaned up. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now, just uh, we don't have a lot of time, but the one thing I did want to bring up, um, there's a lot of uh, talk about the Great Lakes and not as much talk about Lake Winnipeg. And like you said, it's, it's such a, a large lake. And do you think any of that has to do with the fact that one is beside Toronto and one is in the middle of the country?
3: Yes, I completely Yeah. I mean, that's what that was my first watching
2: after five minutes of documentary. I'm like, I didn't know how big how big that lake was. I didn't know how everything drained into it. I didn't know any of that because it's unfortunately Winnipeg. Yeah. Well, I don't mean to dog the town, yeah. but uh, unfortunately, being in the middle of the country, it's it's one of the factors, isn't it?
3: I don't even think people in Winnipeg realize how big it is. I right. mean, I grew up in Winnipeg, and I didn't really have—you know, you're always down at the south end. It seemed like a pretty big lake, but you could ride a boat across in, like, I don't know, a couple hours or something. Right. Oh, really? It's, like like 21- it's that big. Well, it's 21 miles across at the South Basin. So, uh, How many football fields is that? <laughs> I just well, got that's to... a lot. That's a lot. Okay. I mean, we used to try and get over on the skadoos in the winter and stuff. It always cracked in the middle, and you'd right. have to drive. Like, the guys in nut, the nutcases would drive over this big open <laughs> water. <laughs> it's like, I'm not doing that. But, you know, every year, that's a rough lake, too. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people every year, if you get caught in a storm out there, you're not going to make it. And, uh, you know, I had a f- person I knew went to my high school who died there actually so um you know that's that's how dangerous that lake is. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, people know what's in their backyard. And, yeah. you know, Lake Ontario and Lake Erie have a lot of people living around them. Yeah, of course. I mean, you've got and like you said, there's other
2: documentaries. And so much uh, with the Love Canal and all that stuff that's been sure. kind of bred into us. And, yeah. uh, you know, so much American influence have already taken on this kind of plight. So it's a little harder. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, people should watch this documentary. Because I did learn a lot from... Uh, watching it. It's only an hour long so it's on um, March 17th at 8 p.m. on CBC's television The Nature of Things and uh, Dr. David Suzuki is the uh, person who talks to you all the way through it so that was uh, very interesting as well. You know? Uh, so, uh, Paul Kemp, thanks for coming by and uh, if you're working on anything else in the future that might uh, intrigue Dave, please come by.
1: Yeah, we'll come back on when you're going to do the sinning thing. Yeah, we'll bring a couple sinners in. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Alright, okay, Yeah, come back when uh, that's going to be uh, airing somewhere. Yeah, well, it's airing in March actually. Okay, uh, well, no, that's when you're uh, coming May, back. May
3: twenty third to twenty seventh. All right, think. well, whatever the fuck is happening, just, just, just come back then.
1: <laughs> Jesus, I'm trying to be we'll nice. Let you know. <laughs> <I'm laughs> you <trying laughs> <to, laughs> know. I'm trying to be, uh, you know, welcoming. Uh, yeah, yeah. There we go. There uh, we go. Uh, good. I, I'm
4: here. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> and you'll be back. I'll be back. Now with twenty percent more brand to keep you regular from the bomb. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee.
4: This is Nick Beaton. You're listening to
1: Anything Goes with Darren Frost on XM Satellite Radio Laugh Attack.
0: Show me on the dial where the bad man touched you. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee.
2: Okay, we're back from the break, and Dave is hammered. Hammered he, out he, of his, that's his head. That's not true at that's all. That's somewhat true. That's not he really. doesn't
4: seem completely hammered. He seems just slightly tipsy. Tipsy, tipsy yeah. hammered. That uh. that's,
2: that was Michael Gelbart, our, our guest. Dolby. Hello, comedy lovers. <laughs> there we go. Right yeah. off the gate. Right there we go. Right <laughs> out of the gate. Uh, Michael Gelbart is a comedian I've known for over 20 years. A uh, great headlining comic in his own right. He is also a novelist and a writer. And he just uh, released a novel called The Other Oprahs, which is actually getting a ton of press in Toronto. And just this week in L.A. Weekly did a large article about Michael Gelbart. Michael Galbart's back in town. How are you, Michael?
4: Good, guys. How you doing? We're I'm doing, doing all right. We're very good, Michael.
2: We're days halfway through your book already.
4: That's awesome. We started in the middle, so that's exactly like- <laughs> that's how I like to start. Where do the pictures start? How come there's no photographs? There's no pictures, but it's a super easy read. I wrote it for people who like movies more than books. Good. There well, we go. yeah. I'm on board. It's yeah. all. It's all, It's like four women named Oprah, all who live in different cities. They all speak in the first person. Okay. And uh, every fifth chapter, they meet in a chat room. So it's it's basically their chats transcribed. Right. So you're just you're reading dialogue basically. Okay. So it's a super easy read. It takes you'll finish in two hours, two hours.
2: Okay. Now is is it their only their first name is Oprah or their last name is Winfrey as well?
4: No, there's Oprah Goldstein. Okay. There's Oprah Winston. There's Oprah Fanning and there's Oprah Starr. They're four different women and they okay. different ages, different walks of life. They have nothing in common except their first name, and they meet every week in this chat room just for women named Oprah, and they d- they form a friendship and realize they're maybe not so far apart as they thought.
1: Okay, I, I have a quick question for you. Where does the where does the name Oprah come from? the The
4: origins of her name,
1: or yeah, well, not even necessarily her name, or just the name Oprah. It's like when when so, if someone asked you like, "Hey, where does the name Elvis come from?" or "Where's the name?" Because they're just they're such iconic names. When you think of Oprah, you just think of one person. When you think of Elvis, you think of one person. Like, where does the name Oprah come from?
4: Well, I, I don't know the origins. According to the story of uh, Oprah Winfrey's name, she uh, they made a mistake on her birth certificate and meant to call her some other name, and what? they spelt it Oprah. So that she's, she, I think she's the first person ever to have that name. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. That's okay. what I, I've heard that. I don't know okay. if it's true. But.
2: Well, someone said it, it's got to be true. Yeah. That's how the world works in Dave head.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: okay. That's it's, right. It's all on me.
2: I, now, when did you choose? I know you've been a writer for a long time. You've written a lot of stuff for TV and movies and that. But when did you choose, I'm going to go the novel route? Because that's not really the the standard jump for a lot of comedians. They, don't, they may do some fiction, but not like a novel like this.
4: Well, ever since I was a, when I was a kid and I first started to love stand-up, Steve Martin was already writing novels, right? So he was my first... Like, the first stand-up I liked when I was, like, 10 years old and stuff. And I didn't get his stuff. I didn't understand it. But I was like, there's a grown man acting crazy. I want to do that one day. And he had already had a book out called Cruel Shoes, right? So that was, like, a huge influence for me. And then, uh, you know, when I got older and I started writing on TV shows, I was mostly offered teen sitcoms and animated stuff that wasn't necessarily – like my kind of comedy, right? Or very
2: rewarding. You do it for the rent, and it's it's a good it's a good uh, thing to do. But I understand what you're saying. It didn't get your creativeness out the way you wanted it to.
4: Yeah, they're jobs, and they're right. they're damn good jobs. Yeah, they keep wrong you, with it. They, you know, they keep you in the game, and you still you know you get to write funny things. Sure. But you, I wanted to write something that was well. For I I wrote a movie uh, uh, several years ago, and that got produced. It got sold, and it got produced, and I got to watch something that I wrote come out. In a way that I had never intended. Right. It came out way worse than I thought. And some people still like it. I think it's a reasonably funny movie. Right. Some of the time. But just watching your own work unfold in a way you didn't like. It's kind of hard. Yeah. So when I came up with the idea for this book, I originally thought this would make a good movie. But uh, it seemed like the kind of movie that would be a book first. Right. So I decided to write the book, and that way when it inevitably or eventually becomes a movie, at least people can see what I intended in the first place. Because uh, movies and TV are very collaborative, and I've got uh, nothing—there's nothing wrong with that. And ultimately, even if you don't like something you did, you should just walk away at the end of the day. But I did want there to be an existing version that was at least close to what I wanted it to be.
2: Well, very, very few writers in movies and television uh, are happy with the end product. I mean, there's so many reasons things happen in movies and the way they're shot. And so, I mean, that's not an odd thing for you to have that experience. I mean, there's lots of people that I mean, there's you know decades of fucking you know shitty movies with great scripts that started that way so i mean you know that's the way it works but to me what's interesting is is that your your stand up is not very storytelling no right but you're doing novels so yes, th- to me or that's very, novel. but no know but you may lead to another but your TV let's say your TV movie is almost like a, a small novel you know in terms of structure or whatever Yeah, storytelling right. yeah but yeah. your stand-up is not that way that's why I find it kind of interesting that you're you do more of this than than a different style of a, a, a book
4: I try, I want to tell stories on stage but uh, you know it's it's uh, it's really I, I really admire people who are storytellers on stage because um, Telling a story is a long thing. Like I I write jokes that maybe you have a a premise for something and then a few tags for it, and maybe you know you find enough tags or ideas about that one subject where it becomes a five-minute piece. But it's still not a story. And I've tried a couple of times to tell stories, and they don't. I you don't know where the punchlines are, and if you're telling that story, you've now committed to a very lengthy story where you're not sure where the jokes are going to be or where the laughs will be. So. Yeah, I, I I like the style, and I I wouldn't mind even evolving into someone who does tell stories on stage. But I just haven't.
1: Okay. Why, why why is that? Is it, is it, do you have a, a fear of getting? Do you ever feel like of getting too personal on stage?
4: I don't. I no. I I don't fear that. I, I uh, last week in Halifax, I tried a couple of stories at the end, but it was after a forty-five minute set that already w- really went well. Right. Right. And they're so in the palm of said, your you hands know what, and folks? they want to. Yeah. I said, you know what, folks? I don't know if these stories are going to get laughs or not, but I've already fulfilled 45 minutes. Let's pretend the show is over. I'm going to stay on and tell a couple stories. Right. Well, and uh, I did that. There weren't any laughs, but I'd ask them at the end, and i go, was that a good story? And then they'd clap for the story. Right. right. But my stories don't have funny parts yet. Yeah, well, I,
1: I, not not that I should say that, like, that you're afraid to tell those stories and and getting too personal, but just... But like I mean, but you you tell a story in your act about how you you know you know, went out with a girl and she said the Holocaust never happened and that I mean that, that's like, purely a work
4: of fiction and it's is pure that, is purely that, a, is a joke. It, is that yeah. really is that like totally a joke? Yeah, totally. Like, a joke. That is
1: like from beginning to
4: end, that is all a joke. Not one part of that happened. Yeah. Oh, that's.
1: Really? You that's, that's that was... a, well, I, you know what? Maybe, okay, maybe it's just a testament to me being so gullible, and I just think that everything that someone tells on stage is going I to be... I thought that some... joke
2: was partly true.
1: I thought that was joke was partly true, too.
4: No, no, I came up what with What a it. sham. Yeah. yeah. The just whole saying, act over. is... You were such a phony. Is... I am a phony. I'm smug. Yeah, yeah. like it said. My the <laughs> one, all right. Let's the, say that. Let's the, bring that up. I, the one note like, that David. I had under Michael yeah.
1: Gelbart's name was Michael Gelbart, smug. That's the, what
2: that's what Michael saw. We invite him into our show. <laughs> he comes into our room. He looks down at Dave Martin's notes, and it just says Michael Gelbart, smug. Yeah, and I'm all Actually, alone in the
4: room d- at the time. Yeah, it just said Gelbart, smug. Yeah, not yeah really mean, No first name or anything. No, nice but, Dave. Uh,
2: but I but I went to
4: go and I didn't see. mind. It. Yeah,
1: that's. But you shouldn't because not like that. I think that's a bad thing or anything like that. It's a stage
4: style. It's but that. I, I yeah. think
1: that's your character on stage, and I went to go and see you last night at Yacht on a Sunday night, and I know that someone necessarily on a Sunday night is not always throwing out their A game, but, it like, you were doing, a what, admittedly, a greatest hits show, but you, you do come across on stage as a bit smug, but it is, like, that approachable smug that, like, not like you would ever think i think there's a line between being smug and pretentious and you have a you have a smugness about you that is both a guy that i would still like to hang around with. yeah he's a
4: smug guy that you're friends with right, right yeah, exactly yeah right. yeah, yeah.
1: Like you, it's uh, see. We
4: can all
2: be friends now.
1: We well, we figured it out. But no, but it's like sort of like ah. that. Is that line between being smug and confident? You know. Yes. Yes. It's you're like you're you're smug and confident, but it's not like you're confident and pretentious. Where you're like you know you're just spouting off about like you know, shit that you have that's gonna somehow alienate me from shit that I don't have.
4: Well, yeah, it's hard to debate it because just the by, by virtue of calling your act greatest hits or smash hits, right. that in itself is yeah. a very smug thing to do. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's also an announcement that you're not writing new jokes.
2: I don't do, but do you think the audience picks up on that?
4: No, I don't right. think they do. They're See, I don't think them. they do.
2: I think, you, I think the way you do it, it almost seems like a hook, like it's a joke. Yeah. Right. that you're doing it smash hits smash hits it's almost like you're doing i don't want to say anti-comedy of it but there's a sense of anti-comedy yeah to there's that.
4: definitely that but the interesting thing is when you started stand-up and you had a ton of catchphrases sure yeah yeah yeah. and uh good for me and, yeah oh, good yeah. Yeah, yeah hey big shooter no, i all love that stuff, stuff, all right? that stuff. Sure. and you don't like any of that I hate stuff it, anymore yeah. but you know i used to mock it as you know of course yeah. and now <laughs> and now i have you know hello comedy lovers sure Saying smash after yep. Joe, you fucking I'm, flipped it. Yep. Yeah, I flipped it now. I I'm remember in the,
2: in the middle '90s, Galbart was at the Toronto Super Club, and I went on with the funny pants and the shirt and everything. I fucking just killed, and this really super hot chick was walking, down, and and Galby oh, was no. on too, and and Galby did well too. But the super hot chick came up to me and was like, "Oh man, you're hilarious!" And I just went to the bathroom, and I did nothing about it because you know it wasn't my thing. And then Gal was like, "Oh shit, man, you got to talk to her. I got to get some funny pants." That's what he said. I <laughs> got. To get some funny pants I'm like well just get a couple catchphrases and what did you do you got I went and got the
4: immediately you you're know? fucking right you did yeah
2: gets the chicks
4: yeah smash works out well that's what know? I'm in it
2: for the chicks
4: do you have any all uh, that trim I get do you have now you, your character's evolved and you're a different kind of stand up now do sure. you does the current uh, configuration does the current version of you have any uh, go to like uh, words or phrases No. no
2: no I mean I call the guy fucky in the front row but that's about it oh okay that's the only kind of through line
1: one, one thing I, I do find kind of interesting about what you do on stage is that there's like a... And I'll say there's a semi-Andy Kindler element to it is that you do sort of reference a lot of inside sort of catchphrases and elements that only comics might get. yeah But you do address it to, and I hate saying sort of the... Uh, the civilians, or the the just the uh, audience members, and the cra- uh, you know, the people in the, you address it to the people in the crowd. But there are a lot of sort of inside references that somehow audiences members still pick up on.
4: Yeah, you see, I I think that if they already like you as a guy, or they buy your character, and they're with you, they'll start laughing at stuff they don't necessarily understand so much. See, you know what?
1: That's the I I think that's very cool, and that's the first time I've ever heard that because uh, I always do like that as a comic, both watching another comic when they sort of sort of open the doors to the comic world, to the audience members, and when the audience members still pick up on them, even though they may have no idea what the fuck they're talking about.
4: You seem like a comic who would do that sort of stuff. Do you do that stuff also? Uh, you know what? I
1: don't do it as much anymore. Not as much as I used to. No, I used to be all like, "Let's!" I don't give a fuck about the audience, and I'll just make the back of the room laugh. And now I, I think somehow at a certain point, the idea of getting paid oh yeah getting Uh, paid is so important well (laughs) no no but i mean but no but like getting when i started to get paid for comedy i i realized that the people in the audience weren't comics and why should i make people who aren't paying to see you laugh
4: yeah there's a responsibility to those people
1: like if i'm still doing an open mic i'll i have a certain you know a basket full of jokes that i'll still do that'll make comics laugh and occasionally make audience members laugh but now I've gotten to the point where you know I just want I I would like to make the audience laugh just as much as I would like mo- make comics
4: laugh. Yeah, and to still do it with a kind of comedy that you can still look yourself in right. the mirror and respect, you know. Sure. But so I, I,
1: I find you still do that though, and I and I enjoy that about you.
4: Yeah, yeah. If it, yeah, yeah. I found a way to make it accessible to them. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. You know. Right.
2: Now, what's uh, what's coming up for you in the next couple of months?
4: Next uh, week, I'm doing the uh, other Oprah's book signing and reading at. Uh, uh, what, what is it called? Book Soup in Los Angeles. I did okay. one reading here in town. I did one in Halifax. I'm using four local actresses in every city playing each Oprah at okay. the signings.
2: Smart. That's great. Yeah. So. And when's that? That's
4: That's the 28th. Uh, is, is this heard in Los yes. Angeles? Yeah, yeah. The 28th at Book Soup on Sunset Boulevard, which is a Monday night, the night after the Oscars at 7 o'clock.
2: Okay. And uh, any plans to go west?
4: I'm definitely uh, gonna go out west. I'm gonna do uh, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver, and I'm gonna do the same thing in every city. Four new actresses playing the Oprahs. Uh, if I don't, if 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 I go to a city that doesn't have four actresses, I'll do an online contest where people okay. can vote and. All right. Yeah.
2: And if people want to get in touch with Michael Galbart, do you have a website, Facebook, MySpace? What's going on with you?
4: MichaelGalbart.com. No, that's not my favorite one. com. Oh, is you have the, that? Okay. Yeah, com. People can read sample chapters of the book okay. before deciding to buy. And if they buy it from that website, I sign it for them. I personalize the book. Nice. Uh, and then there's, of course, Facebook, Michael Galbart, G E L B A R T. You know? uh you can add me there there we go are we done i don't want to be done yet we, we can- don't have to no, be no, done no, no. i'm just i want to make
2: sure that i get if people sometimes we forget to ask people how to get in touch with comics because they talk and then you know people want to get in touch with them so
4: can, yeah. can, can
1: i ask you one thing i'm always curious like uh because i mean stand-ups have their act and that at, at what point was this sort of a, a burning piece of subject matter that you wanted to
4: take beyond your uh your act well, the, it,
1: did, did you ever have the other Oprahs as a, a joke in your act at all?
4: This is what happened. Uh, when the book, there, she's just not, he's just not that into you came out, right? And uh, women all over America were buying this yeah, book. Yeah, it went nuts, yeah. And I thought, you know, I have a lot of insights and observations about my dating life and things I think about women. And I would like to write a book like that, but I think the ship already sailed. Someone already did it, and they did it as well as you can do that. So, uh Sometime around 2007, I think it was, I was performing. I was opening for Greg Barron, who wrote the book right. oh, for he's, a week.
1: He's Mr. Relationship Guy. Yeah yeah, of, yeah he's
4: Mr. Relationship Guy, which I kind of his act uh, isn't really that much about relationships, but the book was, right. right? So I was, um, I was opening for him at the Irvine Improv, and the shows were very full. Mm-hmm. and he said i on. he'd been on Oprah twice. And that changed his entire career. And Oprah told every woman in America should read this book. And there were audience members holding the book. And uh, I thought, wow, to have that kind of power where you can say everyone should do something and then you, they go do it uh, was just amazing to me. And then I thought, boy, it would suck if your name was Oprah and you weren't that Oprah. Right. Because yeah. no matter what you do, you're ne- everyone's going to look at you and think of her. And then I thought, that could be the way I can get my observations and thoughts about women into a book would be a fictionalized story about four women named Oprah and then put all my insights into the book. So mm. I, I took stuff from previous relationships and I uh, included it in the stories.
2: Now, if this gets to be made a film, have you thought of anyone to be the four Oprahs?
4: Oprah Winston, my dream cast member would be Halle Berry for that okay. or Sandra Bullock. Someone who would, um, by signing on, would uh, encourage other people, like gar- someone who would guarantee. Sure, once a big person comes on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would be perfect for that. Uh, I never really describe what anyone looks like. I don't give any character a color. I so that way, when it comes to casting, it, they could still it still uh, could go to anyone. Right. Uh, but uh, and I want it to be up to the readers to decide what people look like. But uh, here in Toronto, for example, I had Nikki Payne read the character of o- Oprah Fanning, who's the, I guess, the social outcast of the group, and she was hilarious. And in Halifax, I had Ivani uh, Rosen from Picnic Face, yep, yep. and she was hilarious too. So I mean, it could be a variety of different people. It's all up in, uh, up for grabs.
2: And when you had had these four actresses do the the signing or the, the reading of the book, what's like what's the crowd like? It's a, I mean, it's a bookstore, right? So What's the, what's the scenario there like?
4: I'm learning quickly that uh, I, would, I think I would rather do these readings in stand-up clubs where there's already an audience. Well, I was going to ask audience. you that. Yeah, I would rather do it when I'm headlining a club and there's already an audience there because I was really nervous about my chapters and in Indigo appearances because it's a very new thing. Right. And basically the audiences are, if I know a lot of people in that city, then a lot of my friends will be there. Right. And if I don't, then there won't be anybody.
2: Well, no, you got a lot of press in Toronto. And, yeah, some people and, did show up. And by, up by using that I didn't people know. like Nikki and other people that have their own fans, I'm sure they showed up because of that. And yeah, you
4: make a very good point. It was very well attended in Toronto, not as much in Halifax because the, the Halifax chapters was uh, a half hour outside the city. Ooh. So it was uh, yeah. it was like in the Costco kind of area. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Do you, ever, do, you, do you ever worry about, like, uh, you know, I, I guess it's the first time that, a, like, a, a comic might put on their own theater show or something like that. But do you ever worry about having, like, a book signing and, like, nobody showing up?
4: Yeah, I'm terrified. These are the first times in my yeah. life I've ever been worried about that. That's why uh, it's so easy to stay with whatever comedy club chain you're affiliated right, with. Yeah. Because there's that fear that you don't, you know, if you put yourself out there and book your own theater, there's that Oh, my God, what if nobody shows up feeling, right, right. you know? So I'm testing the waters with the bookstores, but that's still not the same as doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, they, they told me over at Indigo that sometimes very famous people have signings there, and they're not well attended. Well, it, yeah, yeah. It's hard to get people in the bookstores, but, yeah, yeah, it went well. There was about 50-something people there.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. Well, it's sort of like—there's like an old Mitch Hedberg joke about, like, you know, when you show up to sign your own book or CD, and if nobody shows up to see you, at what point do you just start to pretend to shop—
2: <laughs> and like, look
1: around. Other, you, what what part do you start to like? Oh, I'm just going to shop for books.
4: Yeah, that that it hasn't happened yet like that. No, and I've only got three. I've only I have the L A one left, and hopefully the L A weekly uh, article will, will mean that I won't have to do much shopping that day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Disguise yourself as a uh, just a, a browser in a bookstore. Now
2: you you self published this book, right? I
4: self published it. What happened was I was uh, represented by this management company that managed huge stars. I was probably. The, one of the, top, uh, the least famous people on their roster. So when I finished the book, they're like, yeah, we have a lot of a lot of our clients have books. And then they showed me the books by their clients. And every single one of them had this, the picture of the client on the cover of the book. Right. It was all those books where it was star-driven books. right? And uh, my book is clearly not that. So uh, they said, if we send it to publishing companies, we may be, get, be able to get you a tiny advance because the publishing industry is really hurting right now thanks to people self-publishing and uh, building their own uh, fan bases on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Everything is suffering, music, books. Right. So they said, we might be able to get you a small advance but probably nothing. And then you'd only make 2 or $3 per copy. Right. And then I did a long... A lot of uh, research online, self-publishing versus publishing companies, and I weighed all the pros and cons, and self-publishing looked like the way to go if you're willing to take a small financial risk. Right. It's not like a movie where you'd have to spend a million dollars. You spend a few thousand dollars, but your per copy uh, – profit is amazing, sure. you just have to believe that it will sell. Yeah, it's like,
2: it's like people ask me why I don't have my DVDs in stores, and I try to tell them that first of all, I have to battle all the you know, other product that's in that store, like who's really going to go into an HMV and go, I want a Darren Frost DVD, when there's already 40 other stand-up DVDs in that section That's no one's buying from. you know. So I choose to go to self-published road as well, because I make all the money and I take all the risk, and I think it's a smart way. Now, can I get this on like a Kindle? Is it on? Not
4: yet, it will be on Kindle in the next month or so right because
2: i think that's a huge market
4: see yeah th- yeah it is a huge market it's huger than having a, a hard copy of the book yes but the thing about me is before, i was always the kind of guy everyone thought i was super ambitious and i was going to be like a big star or that i cared about that and uh you know, when push came to shove, you know, I'd been on some network TV shows, but I was, turns out I wasn't the kind of person who was really that motivated. Right. You know, I'd be on the Craig Ferguson show. Yeah. And then I'd put my arms in the back of my head and relax for a year, right. you know, right. I, I'd make money. And from- you were one of
2: the first Canadians on that show.
4: Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, yeah, it was 2005. Right. It was like Stuart Francis and me were the first ones on it. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I relaxed for a long time afterwards, to the point where they asked me back in, like, five months if I gave them a second five-minute DVD, and I never did it. Like, I, something in me was like, oh, I'm making this money writing for teen sitcoms and, and animated series, and I lost some of my incentive or my drive. I got really complacent, right? Right. And then, uh... I just woke up one day and said, I w- you know, I was always the kind of guy people thought was, was going to do stuff. And now I'm just getting very relaxed. And, uh, and, and I always used to say, you know, when I finally do decide to do something, yeah, I eventually will. I don't know when, but I will. And then eventually, like, am I going to be the guy who's constantly declaring that he's going to do something? <laughs> right. and just doesn't, right. like most people. Mm-hmm. So I finally said, I like this idea. And I think, you know, I, you, you go to these cities and you're doing stand-up anyway. And you have something to sell at the end of the show, yeah. uh, it's it's much better than being a different uh, – the like a regular author goes to a city, flies there, stays at a hotel, and if his book signing doesn't do any business, he just flies home. Yeah, Here you're being flown to cities, given a hotel room, and paid to do stand-up. Yeah, yeah. And you it, might
2: as well double, double, yeah. double it up, yeah.
4: And uh, the audience that just liked your show is going to probably – a lot of them are going to want something of yours. So the stand-up – Kind of advertises for the book.
2: Yeah, like if you do the book signing on the Saturday or even the Sunday, you could push it on the Thursday or Friday or Saturday shows that you're also doing a book signing is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. So
4: all of it is uh, – all of it helps. And the uh, the book sells better at the comedy club than the book signings because yeah. there's just way more people there. Right. But I still think it's kind of important to have it at the bookstores sure. just to legitimize it further and to just get it in the system of bookstores. Mm-hmm. Do you think
1: that some people think that the book is going to going to be an extension of your stand-up act? And that's uh, why they buy it?
4: Yeah, uh they I it's nothing like my stand-up, that's the thing, you know. These these characters are nothing like the 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 person I am on stage. Right. But uh you know, just like you're, you, all of our stand-up acts, there's a piece of us that is that person. Right. And I'm just bringing that piece to the audience, you know? Right. And this is uh, this is just something different, but it's still funny. Yeah. Can,
1: like, I, can, I, can I ask you a question? How, how did you find these Oprah's, Oprahs?
4: I made them up. No, you didn't make them up. Did you really? Yeah, the, these are fictional characters. Are they seriously Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they oh. don't exist. Oh, fuck. What am I... All right. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a complete work of... Is this, <laughs> this a whole
1: book as a whole sham?
4: Well, no... It, it that fiction. means all fiction is yeah, sham. It is? Yeah. yeah it's a novel. That's what a fucking novel is, Dave. It, yeah,
1: I thought no. there was... How pe- fucking hammered are you? I'm what? not hammered. I'm just gullible. I just thought that no, you actually found people No, I wasn't trying to pull a fast that, one on
4: no, anyone. No, oh, no, really? no. Mine
2: wasn't. It's just oh, Dave's Atlanta really? okay. chocolate. And <laughs> no, I, I this just thought... There's chocolate's got lit- a bit of
4: sherry in it. No, there's no sham in this. This is a... Uh, yeah, There's just, no sham wow just, in it either. Just like all the movies and TV shows <laughs> yeah. we like are not sham. All right, okay, yeah. I,
1: yeah this is. <laughs> Jesus I thought I thought that you went out and you found Oprah's. No, 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 because took... that's possible. Have
2: you just Control Alt Deleted or something and just reset yourself? Or well, like, no, that's why at the has beginning... this interview not happened
1: or no? At I... the beginning of the interview, I said that like you know why is what's the origin of the name Oprah because I thought that okay, well, fine, forget about I it. I took
4: I took like okay. little stories from. Women I'd known, okay. and uh, relationships I'd uh, had, no, or I'm, insights he and I said gave that? them to my fictional character.
2: Yeah, uh, maybe it wasn't. And there's attention. a chat room, you, and every fifth yeah, uh, no, I thought when you said there was room.
1: a chat, I okay, all right, I didn't realize that the f- chat room was fictional. Jeez. Yeah, that's fictional, I that, too. Uh, I you but we've all d- known
2: this week it's vodka, people, next week it's peach schnapps. I think
4: we all we've all known four people like those four women. So yeah, yeah. all right, it's all a sham. Right. I don't really. That's I've, what never, we've I've never. I've yeah. never
1: known for. Mi- minute, Michael so.
2: Galbard is smug and I thought, I, you can't a like
1: shame. I thought you were like a Michael Moore, and you were disrupting the timeline of these. <laughs> okay, all right. No,
4: no. But I know that there are going to well, be th- new people born that are named Oprah. Now. Well, now. You know, not because of the book, but because, you know, that's she's a super of her name, famous yeah. well,
1: But do you know how many people were named Maximus after uh, the movie Gladiator came out? A lot. Many? Yeah, a lot. That I. That's the only number Seriously? I had to. Yeah. You, you can get a register of how many babies have been named a certain name after uh, a certain date. Wow. And a number of babies were named Maximus after the movie Gladiators Like Gladiators When we were younger
4: and 90210 was big, yep. it like, uh, wasn't. Uh, the name Tory became yep. big. Or yes, Brandon Dylan. and Brenda. And or, Dylan. No, not Brenda, actually. That The name okay, the name Rhonda. You notice you don't meet any 25-year-old Rhondas? Right. It's an old th-
2: joke, yeah, like Gladys and how yeah, names get it, older. It, and-
4: it's just interesting that after 1976... The name stopped. Like you can meet a thirty-four year old Rhonda. Right. But you can't meet a thirty-two year old Rhonda. Right. It just stopped. Well, I don't know right. if you
2: know or not, but I wrote a novel called The Four Other Rhondas. And uh it's not all a right, sham. Okay, I actually I right, tracked right. four Rhondas. Wait, wait, wait. I tracked four Rondas. One was in San Diego. With a dark one gun? is in Los Angeles, one is in Toronto, and one lives in Days Head.
1: All right, Good I get Lord. It all oh right. wait, wait, wait. Here I, I honestly story. thought that you found four operas. I didn't find Fuck. four operas. Okay, right. But here's something that
4: uh here is something that, right, I'm that here's something that happened. Okay. Uh Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss the two the twins from the yes. social network, okay. are suing movie? me no. because I was at Harvard doing stand up and they saw me and they told me they had a book called The Other Montels about four people You're that have shit. the same name as Montel You're Williams. Shit.
1: Did they all smoke uh, pot for their MS?
4: Yes. Okay. Shit, man. Oh, it's all a sham. You no, know, I, I, yeah, I keep repeating. And that And now Montel
2: Williams is on a, a commercial.
4: What the hell is that? <laughs> no, that's, that's the,
2: that's the Michael Gelbart get uh, out noise. I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> you pressed the right button.
4: Okay. Dave just likes for? to pull that. Dave huh? pulls oh out his god, little. Oh my god, funny it's like bags. a morning zoo. Oh, I know. He doesn't want zoo. the show
2: to be morning zoo, but he's got his fucking morning zoo little thing. Yeah, you can't but,
4: use those and not be a morning zoo guy. Exactly. Uh. Darren's always the it's first. It's Dainty
2: joke. Dave on it's, the yeah, awesome Darren show.
4: Darren and the Goose. So. Woo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. They'll and K Dog if yeah. Kathleen was here. Yeah. yeah, but
1: Darren loves a good cock joke every once in a while. Yeah, of course. It makes it very okay, sure. it's all nice. All right. Well, I'm these wrong are jokes about your that book.
2: Michael Gelbert doesn't do. He doesn't do dick jokes. He writes I do clean, dick jokes. <laughs> he do clean yeah. dick jokes. He do clean dick jokes. I might. don't
4: swear in my act because right. some people swear in their act. Yes. A lot of people. Sure. But and some of them do it with an incredible amount of finesse and style. Sure. But for every guy who does it with a lot of style. Uh, There's guys doing it because the good guys... Are you not good at
2: it? I swear too much.
4: Yeah, I, I, I would much. say, Darren but you don't do this. You don't yeah. do this. Like I've seen comics this past week would, would go, "Hey, how's everyone fucking doing tonight?" Oh yeah, right. that's unnecessary. Yeah, it's exactly. Manolis. That's Manolis. I've, all, yeah. I've
1: always said that you should just use the word "fuck" as like a like a splash of paint on a, on a painting to emphasize something. But if you start using like, "I went to the fucking mall today," then you know, yeah. it, has it no just emphasis. sounds
4: yeah, it just sounds like they're scared. Right. Right. Yeah. If you use it, if it's well placed in your jokes and it's intricate. Right. Then and that can be the
1: coolest. A, it, it sounds like a replacement for um or ah, you know? It's yeah. like, I went to the fucking mall,
4: or I went to the uh, the mall. So. I wrote
2: a book called The Other Four Fucks, or, you know? Uh, we got it the first yeah, time Yeah, I you know. Said, I, I want to be- make sure, Dave. I want to make sure you're playing along.
4: You oh, all four fucks are fictional, by
1: the yeah, way. Yeah. You you know, go go I thought him. I thought you went and you found four fucks out in the real world, and then... Uh, where
4: can you find four fucks in the world?
1: <laughs> well, you got to keep looking, that's, I guess.
2: <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're out of
4: time, Dave. <laughs> you
2: pull
1: one over on me, Michael Gelbart. Yeah. yeah! I wasn't trying to pull anything... No.
4: On anybody.
1: I I just, I wanted to believe. You know, like every Disney movie, I wanted to believe.
2: The com. You can always get a copy of the book. And com to find out for stand-up reasons where you're going to be. I hope you do go out west, uh, Michael, seriously, because I think in Calgary and Edmonton, you do really well.
4: (laughs) Is that... that No, I'm serious.
2: I think you do well. They're, They're... great chapters and indigo bookstores there and there's a great couple clubs you can do well and do that and, whole piggybacking yeah, and, and,
1: thing and cowboys and guys that work
4: on why the do bridge? you always
2: feel like every time i pay you a compliment it's like some kind of fucking asshole thing like you know like i don't mean that, it like i'm that guy no because last year
4: we drove all the way to ottawa to yeah. do those gigs and you were and very... i said
2: nice things to you the whole fucking way oh no, you were kind of
4: no you weren't that bad actually i said nice things yeah, and i also great. said bad I...
2: things but you had to admit to me that yeah you're probably right on the bad things yes darren
4: darren definitely calls you on things right does not let you, like, he makes you look at yourself and right. tell the truth. Right. And I think that's a great thing. Sure. Yeah.
2: And I can pay a compliment. I even said to Dave earlier today that I like your stand up comedy. Quite yeah, that's
4: a bit. how you know it has value. If Darren Frost compliments you, oh, that's it's all not that matters. That's all that matters. Well, no, yeah. the other things matter in life. Either Roger or you were to stand up. Other things matter in <laughs> life. But if Darren Frost says he likes something, there yep. he's not lying to you. But you are smug. He's not lying when he says what he says.
2: <laughs> there we go.
4: Yes. It's in the notes.
2: It's in the notes. Uh, okay, thanks, Michael. Really appreciate it. And next time you're in town, come on down and uh, hopefully you'll have a new novel and we'll talk about that. Or maybe this will get, uh, you know, on Oprah's Winfrey Show.
4: You never know. I, I you know, I maybe. didn't write it for that. No. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> okay, Anyway, guys, it was a pleasure. Thanks. Thank, Thank you for you. coming down, Thank Michael. You. No problem. Mm-hmm. Don't touch that dial. It was
0: molested and it brings back horrible memories. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee.
4: This is comedian Stuart Silver. When well, I'm on the urinal trying to get my pants down. All right, let's try one last one. Here we go. This is Stuart Silver with his head up his own ass on Anything Goes on XM Radio's Laugh Attack with Darren Frost.
0: Even when you're a star, a punch in the head is still a punch in the head. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee.
2: Okay, we're back from the break, and unfortunately, we're so jammed with guests this week, we're out of time. We don't have any time to rant or say anything that's happened in the last week. So if you have any questions or concerns, you can always find us through telephone or internet. We don't have any time to even give you that. So uh, if you're interested, we have a Facebook group, and also we have new episodes, don't we, Dave, on iTunes?
1: Uh, we have new episodes uh, on iTunes, and I want to uh, give a very, very quick shout-out to uh, Teresa Putnam, who uh, I hope I have her name correct, but she uh, sent a lap attack an email telling us uh, how much she enjoyed the Valentine's Day episode. Of the show with uh, Kathleen McGee, where I embarrassed her giving a, her a gift on the air, and Rebecca Kohler. So that episode is going to be put up onto iTunes as soon as possible. And then we will also have the Mark Marin, Christopher Titus, and Anthony Jezelnik uh, complete interviews up on iTunes uh, soon, soon, soon. So check those out.
2: All right, folks. And if you want to know anything about me, you can go to comedyhorror.com or Dave Martin at Dave Martin World. And Kathleen, of course, at uh, Facebook,
1: uh, Twitter, and. Uh, Everywhere else. Uh, I hope she's her okay with that. Snatchy taco tape. <laughs> I hope she's okay. She doesn't have her cell phone out east right oh, now. Oh, man. So. That must suck. Uh, she, I sometimes feel like smashing her hands with a hammer. There we she go. She uses that thing so much.
2: All right. And the hammer being your cock.
1: No, no, just an actual hammer. Right.
0: I smile and